Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And today is a celebration. And you ask why? It's because we are hitting 400 episodes today. It was nine years ago this month that this show was started. My book was only just a year old and I felt the need to meet like-minded people and share their stories. I had no idea if anybody was gonna listen, but I was gonna share them anyways. And I just checked my statistics on YouTube and also on the podcast channels, because you know you can watch it and you can also listen to it on your favorite podcast channels. And there's been over 7 million (laughs) plays, which is beyond mind blowing to me. So you're one of those people, whether you're signing up today for the first time to listen or watch or that you've been along the journey. I know so many people have been around since the beginning or have watched or listened to every episode. So this is just a really sincere heartfelt thank you. All I want to do is help people through grief, help people believe there's an afterlife, and help people know that your life is special, you are special, and there's good reasons for you to have a powerful life, and and just to help you get there. So you may know this, our home base is wedontdie.com, where you can find past episodes, you can join our free Sunday gathering with a medium demonstration, you can take a class all kinds of good things. If you don't already have a copy of my book at the bottom of the we don't die.com page, there's a little opt in, you can enter your name and your email address. It says, get the first few chapters of my book. But the truth is, it's the entire book. All right, so that is there for you. And if you're listening to this, and you'd rather be watching, you can head over to YouTube, type in we don't die radio 400. And you can see my beautiful guest and myself. Speaking of our beautiful guest, I wanted to make this special today. And so I have a longtime friend, yet this is the first time we're connecting face to face on a video, Sheila Lowe. She is a real life forensic handwriting expert who testifies in court cases. But not only that, she is a best selling author with over a dozen books written both fiction and nonfiction. As you are interested in the afterlife, you may enjoy, she's got a three murder mystery series called Beyond the Veil books, including this one, Proof of Life. Her latest book is a nonfiction memoir called Growing from the Ashes, a forensic handwriting expert learns about the afterlife from the murder of her daughter. You can find out more about the beautiful Sheila at SheilaLowBooks.com. Sheila, my friend, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited too. I know you woke up early to be here yeah. with us today. You A little got early. Yeah. Coffee over I there. Most but... people, it wouldn't be early, but <laughs> I work late. That's all right. That's all right. First of all, so sorry about your daughter. I know you've got a, st- a short a story to share there, but for the grief and everything that's involved in that, just sending you a big long distance hug. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So you know your story better than anyone. I would surely love to know how a lady gets involved, first of all, in forensic handwriting. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and just just share if you would. Sure. Everybody asks that question, every lecture I ever give, how did you get involved in handwriting? Um, And of course, these days, handwriting, people think it's going away, but it's not, it's coming back. Um, You have to go back a very long time, probably before you were born, 1967. Oh, 66, girl, here. (laughs) Yeah, so you were a little baby. Uh, I was in high school. I was a senior and... My boyfriend at the time, his mother had read a book about handwriting analysis, how to analyze handwriting to learn about personality. And she analyzed mine. And I was like, oh, my God, somebody finally understands me. And, you know, as a 17-year-old, that's really important. And she said things like, you know, I was emotionally stormy and something about being thrifty and just a, two pages full of stuff that she wrote about me. And it wasn't until many years later that I figured that she was checking me out as a future daughter-in-law. 
which I did end up marrying her son. And that's another whole story, <laughs> part of my memoir. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, I just got interested because of what she wrote about me. And I started reading every book I could get my hands on. You know, I went to the library and bookstores. And what she had done, I mean, she wasn't a professional, but she had a book and she went through it and sort of checked off, well, if you're, if you're, if you're, this part of your handwriting looks like this, it means this about you. This means that, which is a very limited value, but for me, that was okay. And so I wanted to learn more. And after about 10 years of studying on my own, I found that I could take a course. And uh, so I did that and eventually became certified as a graphologist, which is a handwriting analyst for means of personality assessment. And eventually, in 1985, I became court qualified as an expert to testify in cases of forgery. Wow. So yeah. one can assume you've dealt with it quite a bit <laughs> and you've yes. been called upon quite a bit. Yeah, I've testified in about 80 cases. So Incredible. Okay. So that's what you do and did. And then what brought you into this world of writing? Now, I know you've written some nonfiction books and then also mm -hmm. fiction, and you've written a lot and you've got mostly bestsellers under your belt. You're well, a go now. get her. Say that again. 18 books now. 18? Yes. Now. Wow. Yeah. So that's 23 years. That's pretty big. It's pretty big. How, how did you get involved in, you know, want to use your imagination and not your imagination that way? Well, I always, um, always wrote, I guess, since I was a kid, I used to write bad poetry. And um, I came from England and, well, I was here for a while. And then we went back to England when the Beatles started. And I was a complete Beatle maniac over the top, ridiculous. And um, so I started writing stories about the Beatles and I was, I was married to Ringo. He was like, everybody else liked Paul, but I was a Ringo fan. And uh, so I started, and I still got those stories out in my, in my archive room. And uh, I just, I always loved mysteries. I got my very first mystery as a gift on my eighth birthday. And so I wanted to write something and I, you know, wrote some silly stories, but I always wanted to be published. And time went on and I was writing technical stuff about handwriting articles, monographs. And, um, you know, I thought, before I turn 50, I've got to get published. And that was right, right. I mean, I was approaching. And the younger it looks, you know, the closer you get to 50, the younger it looks. But I thought, yeah, I should get published. And I did. It was amazing. My goodness. I had met a I've met an agent and just through a series of events, she got me to go with her to a big book fair in Chicago. And um I through that I met a um an acquisitions editor at Macmillan. You know, the they started out publishing the complete idiot's guide to whatever, and there was like a thousand different titles in that series. And they were looking for one on handwriting. And I thought, you know, do I want to write a book called The Idiot's Guide? But nobody was, else was offering me uh, a chunk of money to do that. So I could fill 30, 352 pages was their format. I could fill it with whatever I wanted. And so that was my first book. Uh, congratulations. Just great. And then obviously one under your belt. Why not another and another? And then you jump over to fiction and you've got, I haven't read all your books, but you've got a main star. Don't you a character that goes through several of your books? Yeah. Yeah. Claudia Rose is a handwriting analyst. She does the same kind of work that I do. She's not me. <clears throat> She's a lot braver or perhaps more foolhardy and gets herself into all kinds of situations, often through her work as a forensic document examiner and handwriting analyst. And I just, I wrote the first book, Poison Pen, 
um, I just, I didn't know what I was doing. I had these two uh, nonfiction books published because the year after the Idiot's Guide came out, I was approached by a company who wanted me to write a book for Barnes and Noble. And it's called Handwriting of the Famous and Infamous. It's kind of a small coffee table book. And it has uh, handwritings of 75 people throughout history. The earliest one being, as I recall, Galileo. And goes through, and that was in 2000. So uh, we had Princess Diana and a lot of political figures and music, Jimi Hendrix and all kinds of interesting people. But I still wanted to write a mystery. And so I started writing, you know, the big they say, write what you know. And so I came up with this handwriting analyst character, Claudia Rose. And I had the title of the book, Poison Pen, because, you know, poison pen letters. And uh, it was about a a suicide note, whether the the dead person had actually written it or not. So that was where I started. Great. And as time got on, obviously, you've gotten into afterlife. You want to tell a little bit maybe of your personal journey and um, the memoir, certainly. And share your daughter. And um, yeah. Go yeah. Well, I wrote the first few chapters of that book, Poison Pen, and really didn't know what I was doing and put it aside. In 2000, um, well, actually in 1999, my daughter met a man, Tom Schnabel. And, um, you know, it was one of those love at first sight kinds of things, uh, um, past life probably. And they just really hit it off together. And he immediately wanted to move in with her. And she, of course, what do you do when your mom is a handwriting analyst? You bring home handwriting. And so he wanted me to to analyze his writing. And we talked about it on the phone. When I saw it, it's like my heart sank because there were such red flags for pathological behavior. You know, handwriting can't, predict it's not like a crystal ball it's you know a scientific thing but it can show potential it shows past behavior which shows potential for future behavior but you don't know whether that person's ever going to act out so looking at that handwriting of tom i could never say this guy is going to be a killer that he's going to kill my daughter but within a year nine months actually that's what he did and the the handwriting showed, and I it's, I put it in the book, a little piece of it. But the problem was there a lot of physi- physiological issues show up in handwriting, and I noticed there were signs of a head injury. And I asked him, "Did you ever have a serious blow to the head?" And he said, "Yes, I was almost blinded. It was um, he was in law enforcement. He worked for what was then." Um, they got the INS, the Immigration Service. Now, I guess it would be Homeland Security. And so um, he said he had been hit in the head on the job and he was having terrible headaches. He was seeing a doctor for his headaches. Plus, they both drank a lot. And, you know, it was just kind of uh, an explosion waiting to happen. And I put a note on the on the uh, handwriting sample, the potential for explosive behavior and also authoritarian behavior. You know, an authoritarian wants to make rules for you and tell you what to do. It's do as I say, not as I do. And that would not work with Jennifer because she, she never wanted to listen to me, let alone some man. And so I talked to them about that. But at the time, she was 26, and um, she'd never listened to me before. So she didn't listen. And we know the result nine months later. Um, they, he started calling me. We liked my, my husband at the time, and I, you know, we met him, and he, he was a big, handsome guy, and he, he seemed very personable. Although I didn't like the fact that I heard him talking to my husband about his, his weapon, and how it had good stopping power. And and Jennifer thought it was funny that he would do on the on the highway, 
he would pull out his gun if somebody bothered him and, and, you know, like road rage, fake road rage, just, just to scare the other person. So that was, you know, his mentality. And um, he would, he started calling me to complain about her and she would call me to complain about him. And on this one particular night, um, my husband and I were out to dinner and she called me and wanted me to do something for her that was unrelated to Tom. Everything was okay right then. And so I said, uh, you know, I'm out to dinner. Can I call you tomorrow? We'll talk about it. And she said, sure. And the next morning I was getting ready to go um, to a forensic conference out of state. And uh, about 1130 in the morning, my cell phone rang and I answered it and I was in a hurry and I didn't really listen to the person who saying who they were. And he said, um, is Ken Lowe there? And I said, Ken Lowe, why are you, why are you asking for my ex-husband? We've been divorced for 20 years. And he said, um, do you know Jennifer Lowe? And I thought, what has she gotten herself into now? And I said, that's my daughter. Why? And he said, well, I'm sorry to tell you, but your daughter's been murdered. I mean, you know, what do you, there, there is no good way to say that to somebody. But I, I couldn't help thinking later, what if I'd been on the freeway? I told him I was on a cell phone. And so I just called for my husband. I, I just looked at the phone like, I don't believe it. And handed it to my husband. And yeah. But, um, and, and and if I'm just rambling too much, please interrupt me. Keep rambling. Just sending you a big hug from all of us. Well, the fact is that I had grown up in a very fundamentalist religion, Jehovah's Witnesses. And even though I had left that, I got kicked out of it on my 35th birthday, which is the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, so this was, you know, 15 years later. But the things that I had been taught really had kind of stuck with me, you know, like the spirit world, that means you've got the demons if you're into spirit and and trying to communicate, don't even meditate because if you clear your mind, it leaves room for the demons to come in and control you. I don't know what they supposedly are going to make you do, but that's, that's what we were taught. So now Jennifer was killed. Um, and if you want to, you know, I can talk about what happened exactly. But but that night, I think it was the night, I don't know exactly the time, it doesn't matter. But it must, I think it was like the next, yeah, I think it was that night. Because it all kind of blurs together. But my, um, one of one of my phones rang, the house phone, I think it was first. And I picked it up. And I heard this loud staticky noise on the other end of the line. And I could hear at a great distance a voice, but I couldn't tell what it said. And I'm saying, hello, hello, I can't hear you. And then it hung up. And then my cell phone rang and the same thing happened. And I knew it was Jennifer trying to reach me. So things like that started to happen. And I mean, you know, through the first week, especially a lot of a lot of attempts to contact, and um, and so I I put that religion aside, and I had already started to because Jennifer really believed in the afterlife, and she had wanted to talk to me about it. So, where shall we go from there? Breathe, just breathe. Where should we go from there? Is the guy in prison? Can I? Oh, Tom. No, he killed himself too. He did. Um, okay. What I learned was, see, the, I called the police um, about it because, you know, I wanted to know as much as I could. And they lied to me. They gave me six very different stories because I, at some point, I think it was the next week I went and and um, to clear out her apartment. She lived about 100 miles south of me in Orange County, Lake Forest, California. And so I drove down there to, to clean up her stuff and met 
her father who lived in Utah and some of his family. And then uh, Tom's father and brother were there. And, um, you know, they were just kind of standing off by themselves. And I went over and, you know, what do you do? I gave him a hug. And we all cried. And um, where was I going with this? <laughs> I was going somewhere with this. Um, I've completely gotten off track. That's all right. Just what happened after she passed. Um, yeah. So I got everything cleaned up. I know there was a purpose in going there, but um, I took Tom. her wedding dress. Tom. Yeah. Tom. What about Tom? He ended um, his own life. You had said. Oh, what he did. Yeah. So after I got everything packed in my car and did you know, all the stuff we were going to do, and my son came and took the furniture, my younger son, um, Ken, my ex-husband, and I went downstairs to talk to the neighbor because I'd heard that he had made the 911 call. And um, so we talked to him, Corey, and he told us what happened. He had actually talked to him before on the phone. And um, he said that this is the night after she called me in the restaurant. So this was later that night. And um, he said it was about 2.30 in the morning. He, He was up watching TV. And she looked upstairs and... He heard her on the stairs, and he heard her crying outside his door. And he opened the door, and he brought her in. He said, are you okay? And she said, no, Tom's crazy. And um, they had been out earlier in the evening at a bar somewhere called Cook's Corner. And um, while they were there, they had a big fight because of some, some woman. And Jennifer left him in the car and he had to walk home, which is about five miles. So he wasn't very happy when he got home. So Corey said, um, you know, just let's call the police. And she said, I've already called 911. And he said, well, stay here until they get here. And she waited a little while. And she said, I'm going to go back up because I don't want him to hurt my cats. So she went back upstairs and everything was quiet for about a half an hour. Still no 911 police. And and this was a pretty nice neighborhood. So there's not like a lot of crime for the police to be distracted with. So about a half an hour later, a little after three o'clock, Corey said he heard a a terrible scream. And then shortly afterwards, he heard her on the stairs again. And he looked out his window and she was coming down the bottom of the stairs. And she turned around and said something. And Tom said, I've got the keys. And then he came after her and he opened fire. She started running towards Corey's place. And he said, Corey said, I'll never forget her eyes. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, the first shot, she was gone. So. So he he shot her, I think it was eight times. He hit her in every vital organ, you know, he was, he was trained to do that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, he started to leave. And then the police arrived, the cavalry, a little late. He, he left his car where it was idling and he went back to, she was in front of Corey's front door. And Corey said that he knelt down and kissed her. And then he put the gun in his mouth or under his chin. I read the autopsy report, didn't specify. And uh, that was that for Tom, which is, I know he had a nine-year-old daughter. So she was told that he had an accident. So after that, I wanted to know what happened, you know. I had gone to psychics to a couple of mediums before that. So I immediately contacted, I think the first one was Brian Hurst, who you may know, a British medium. He's retired now. And um, I didn't tell him what happened. I had, I had met him at a group session some years earlier. So I just said my daughter had died and I would like to have a reading. And I did. And I put a lot of, what he said into the memoir 
because he was so amazing. He's, he says, um, why am I hearing this, the nursery rhyme, Tom, Tom, the Piper's son? You know, it's like, well, Tom was the name of my daughter's killer. And he said, when she realized that she was dead, she was furious and she was trying to hit him, which sounds like her. And, uh, yeah, so he, he gave me a lot of real strong evidence. He was he was the first of many. Strong evidence is important. Um, I was having a conversation with my mom and you know, she says a lot of the mediums out there, wouldn't it be easy? We call it cold readings, you know, just giving generalities, but you really feel he gave you specifics that you knew was her. Yeah, well, definitely. And especially starting out with Tom's name. And I believe he had her name, but there were many things, not just about their situation. Oh, and he said, he said, is there a lake nearby? So was they lived in Lake Forest? Which I don't think there's a lake near there, but that's in the name. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, you know, I have to look it up because there were so many things yeah. that were specific, but not just about that, but about other parts of my family, about my father and, and other, other things that were really evidential. Definitely comforting to have a good medium and get some of those details, even though obviously grief is the very worst thing. And I can't even imagine from yeah. being a parent because that's, yeah. that's just not supposed to happen. Parents. It's not, it's not something you could ever prepare for. Um, she had put herself into many very difficult situations. And so in some sense, there was, I mean, there was relief that she was never going to have those horrible things happen to her again, you know, and not, I'm not relieved that she was dead, but just that now I knew that she was going to be okay. I always thought as she was growing up, you know, if she can make it to maybe 22 or 23, she should be okay. Maybe she'll grow up and be okay. And when she comes through now, every, you know, every time she'll say how sorry she was that she didn't listen to me and that, you know, that she was difficult. So Since then, you've done a lot of research on the afterlife. It's yeah. included in your books. What other kind of things have you explored? Obviously, lots and lots of mediums. Lots and lots. And some really great ones. Like John Edward, he came to uh, L.A. This was before he just before he had his TV, the first TV show, Crossing Over. And uh, my sister-in-law called me and she said, there's this guy and you want to go to the meeting. They're having a meeting at this big hotel. And I thought, yeah, I don't know. And I waited until like the very last minute. And then I went and there must have been probably a thousand people in the ballroom. Huge. And um, yeah, he he was funny because he, well, he was very young then. I think he was just about 30. And um, he, his plane well, his plane had been delayed or something, and they lost his luggage. So, he, you know, he was a little famished. <laughs> and, uh, and he came bounding up to the front of the stage, and he said, you know, let me explain my process, and then I'll, I'm sure that some of your people will be coming through. And then he stops and goes, oh, wait a minute. Somebody is coming right to the front of the line and insisting on being heard right now because there's gunshots. It's a murder. And I look around, like the woman a few rows behind me, and she said, she stood up. She goes, it's my son. And he said, no, it's a daughter. So I'm looking around, and nobody else is saying anything. So I stood up, shaking. And um, he said, um, I don't know in what order, because he talked about there being a letter R, which... Uh, went off into something else but he said this happened in february and she knew who shot her and some other stuff and he talked and he goes and your sisters no he said he said you have a dog that died and i said no i've never had a dog i'm a cat person he said but your sister had a dog that died and yes wally had died a year before and he goes well you're your daughter wants your sister to know that the dog is with her and he's okay. So that was really sweet. And then he said, he said a lot of stuff. And I don't think I'd mentioned that I had other children, but he said, 
Does one of your sons have something to celebrate, like a birth or a wedding? And I said, not that I know of. And he goes, yes. <laughs> and I said, okay, but I don't know. And he said, yes. <laughs> and um, so I told my sons, and they didn't say anything. And then a week later, my younger son, who was very close to Jennifer, Ben, he said, you know what that guy said? And he goes, my sister was laughing at me because she knew I wasn't going to tell you. But he had um, married his roommate to help her with her green comb. Maybe I shouldn't even say that. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> anyway, it, it, um, you know, it, what he said was proven to be true. And it was, you couldn't say he was reading my mind or he researched it because it was something that I didn't know. I would never have guessed. I have a funny John Edwards story. One of the guests that I had on, her mom had died suddenly with a brain tumor, literally diagnosed. And three weeks later, she was gone. The girl was interested in the afterlife. John Edwards was coming to town. It was a last minute decision to go. She drags her father, who was not at all interested, but of course he loves his daughter and wants to support her. And right at the beginning, just like you said about, uh, you know, the evidence coming through, the uh, evidence came through that there's a woman who just died of brain cancer, who's showing me that her husband, I think it was in Chicago, was by the water sitting on a park bench and a man dressed in drag as little Bo Peep sat and started hitting on him. And the father just burst out in tears. He never told anybody that story. And it could only have happened, obviously, if the mother had witnessed. And he went on and on and on to the daughter and more to the husband. And it, it just changed his life. And every place he went, he got an extra seat. He'd go out to eat. And he just knew his wife was with him. That's specific. It's <laughs> really specific. Yeah, that is so amazing. Gosh. So there's some good ones out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a year later. It was um, my sister-in-law, again, said, uh, James Van Prague's show, has they're giving out tickets. Do you want to go? And I said, okay. And I went, and they they were saying, the producers were saying, we're going to take James out into, you know, people's homes and stuff. And if you have a story, let us know. And so I wrote to them, and they picked me. And so the day before my birthday, he came to my sh to my house and taped a show, and I just figured it was Jennifer giving me a birthday gift. <laughs> so that was kind of amazing too. I really had some terrific experiences with some of the best mediums, and some that are not well known that are just as good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they are out there. What else have you explored? Because I know you follow this show. <laughs> And has some of the guests or conversations made a difference in things that you've chosen to research more about? Yeah. You know, I've had readings with several of your guests because I was so impressed with them. Um, several years ago, 2018, I think, maybe it was on this show. I believe it probably was because I don't know where else it would have been. I heard about AREI the Afterlife Research Education Institute, and they were holding a uh, symposium in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I decided to go. Uh, maybe 2017 was the first one, and then 2018, I went back and met some amazing people there, and, and like Sonia Rinaldi and um, Suzanne Giesman and lots of people. And on the second one, Craig Hogan, who the leader, was talking about creating Zoom groups that he wanted to have in various areas to discuss different um, aspects of spirituality and afterlife. And he asked what topics people would be interested in. And I said, you know, I'm a handwriting analyst, automatic writing. I was interested in that. And so somehow I thought I was going to just, you know, attend a group. Somehow I was now the leader of this group. Like, how does this happen to me? Um, it's a wonderful group. 
and some of this, this is now five years later, and some of the people who started with me in the beginning are still there. It's not a class. People keep saying, you know, I want to come to your class. It's not a class. If it was a class, that would mean that I would have to do a lot of work being a teacher. I don't do automatic writing. I haven't, I'd, I would like to, but I don't put the energy into it that would be required. But I'm interested in it and I like to hear about it. And so we've had a lot of people talking about it. A lot of, you know, the topic has been, um, you know, it's, it's our basic discussion for a long time. And we sometimes will get together and um, do a group me- short meditation and do automatic writing or see what we get. And then we discuss it. But we don't do that as much anymore. So we're changing the name to automatic writing, etc., or something like that. And uh, anybody can come. And we talk about all things afterlife. And we meet on the first and third Wednesdays at 530 Pacific time on Zoom. So, you know, I mean, we've, we've talked about a lot of different things. We've had astrology and and. Gosh, lots of different mediums have come as guests. Met some just super people, and and some people. What I what is really gratifying is when pe- new people come and they say, you know, that that was exactly what I needed. What you talked about the group, it really you know was like one of those life changing things. So that's always the best, isn't it? It is the best. It really is because you just never know. And you know, you say you don't do automatic writing, but someone who has published so many books, you get in the zone, don't you? With your, you yeah. yeah, right. And for me, I write all the time. But I find fiction writing really hard work, but I work hard at it. And you know, I, I think I've progressed a lot. And sometimes, yes. Now, should we talk about the the Beyond the Veil series? Let's do it. How do people find out about your Zoom group? Is it on the ARE Zoom website? group? Um, it's 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 in the Friday um, Wendy Zamet's group. Um, yes, newsletter, or they can email me Sheila at SheilaLow.com. That keeps it easy. Okay. And below this episode on YouTube and in the description, I have a link for people to sign up to that afterlife report with Victor and Wendy Zamet. Comes out every, well, Friday in Australia, so a little earlier for us. And um, they have so many good things on it. And then there's the link. So they are brilliant. They I mean, I need to excuse me from having a lozenge, but it will stop me from coughing. Yes, it's no problem at all. We, we <laughs> Better not to cough. Human. It happens. It happens. So, yes, of course, we can talk about the Beyond the Veil series. Let me just do a little show. Yeah, that's the first one. Yes. So and proud this is of you. the latest one. Keep talking so that you're a uh, last door. Last door. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, so what happened about that? And this this is what led to the memoir, eventually, the book I didn't want to write. <laughs> um, I, I go, I'm kind of a psychic junkie. And so I go to a lot of psychic. Well, I used to, not so much these days, but I went to a lot. And this must have been five or six years ago. I had gone to a psychic fair, met somebody brand new who said uh, that I was going to write uh, a book that was different from my other books and that my daughter was going to help me. And then I heard the same thing from two other psychics. I was like, oh, okay. Well, when Jennifer was killed, I immediately started thinking, well, you know, I should write her story. But I, I, it was too hard. And part of that was because it has such a sad ending. Who wants to read a story with a sad ending? And so I kept putting it off. But I knew immediately that the title was Growing from the Ashes. But all these years passed by. So I start hearing from several mediums that I need to write a book that's different from my other books and more personal. And I thought, well, 
I could write a fiction with and, and put into it a lot of what I've learned about the spirit world, but, but it would be fiction. And Jennifer, help me. That's great. So I was thinking, you know, she's going to take over my hands on the keyboard and tell me what to write. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? But it didn't happen that way. But there were times, a couple of times, especially, that I thought, you know, what am I going to do here? And I, I think I put this in the book. I had written a scene where this young woman goes into a trance, or maybe it's sleep. You know, you don't know she's in a trance, and she more or less goes to hell, or she sees this hellish scene. And when she wakes up, on her palms, there are these two crosses, they're cross, black cross. And I thought, you know, that was kind of cool. I liked it. And I, I didn't know what to do with it. I left, left it. And at the time, I had um, a, I, I'm now independently published, but the book first came out with a publisher other than me. And she said, the editor said, well, what about, you have to, to say what the purpose was. What? <laughs> Why did she have those crosses? And I thought, oh, Jennifer, help me. <laughs> what, what were they for? And almost immediately, I get this like download of information about what it was for. And it was perfect. And it was something I would never have thought of. That's lovely. <laughs> yeah. And the same thing happened with my late boyfriend. See, in 2016, <clears throat> I was seeing this guy for two and a half years. I was actually trying to break up with him. He's in, he's in the memoir, too. And um, he sadly died very suddenly of a massive heart attack. And it, the week before, he'd been at my house, and he said, you know, I was lying in bed last night thinking I'm going to die. A week later, he did. And um, so he had come back, and I realized after he died how very important he was in my life. And so now he was showing up when I was writing a scene in the book. It's like he came in riding his bicycle on the on the promenade at the beach, like he liked to do. And I said, okay, you want to be in the book? I'll put you in. So I made him a scene in the book. And, um, and then much, much later, near the end of the book, the same thing happened. He rides up on his bicycle. And I said, I was right, I was driving in my car thinking about it, it's like, and I said, Arnie, if you're going to be in the book, you have to, there has to be a reason. You can't just show up. You got to have a reason for being there. Why are you there? And again, almost immediately, I get this answer that was perfect. And it added a dimension to the book that it wouldn't have otherwise had. So I appreciated that. And later in one of the readings I'd had, I think it was Robert Brown. No, it must've been later. He said, Arnie came through and he said he wished I'd made him more handsome in the book. <laughs> when you say the information just came came down, came in, versus you said you work very, very hard at your, at your um, books. Mm -hmm. So for you, consciously, you are creating, okay, what's going to happen next? I mean, that, that takes a lot of thought. And it's a different experience all of a sudden to have it just show up, right? Yeah, you've got an answer to a question that, and an answer that you would never have thought of. And just like when people are doing automatic writing, or I look back and I say, I don't do automatic writing. There have been occasions where it felt like I did. And, and in the group, what we've learned is automatic writing is not necessarily just spirit taking hold of your hand and writing. It can be inspired thought or typing or whatever. And of course, I don't know where I was going with that. But um, we're just talking about creativity, the things that just show up, mm -hmm. things that you really work for. Doing. Senior moment, you know, no, it's you uh, have another cup of coffee. And when we're done, I got you up early. It's no problem at all. So you've got the books. Fantastic. Um, the memoir. Talk a little bit about that. Yes. Oh, that's, that's your latest. I sidetracked right? myself. That's yes. Right. So I have to, I have to go back a little bit. So I published proof of life. Okay. And as I was writing it, I realized that the main character needed to be 
a young woman that I had written about in a standalone book five years earlier, which is called What She Saw. And it's about a young woman who wakes up on a train with amnesia. And it's her story. So in this book, she comes back and she has been uh, talking to dead people. No, she's been hearing dead people wanting her to do things. And she's trying to ignore it and say, I'm just crazy. But in proof of life, she has to recognize what's going on with her and start working with spirit. So then I wanted to write about her again. And so I came up with The Last Door, which I always start with a title. And I loved that title. It's just, it was funny because I was at a party and the hostess was telling people, feel free to wander anywhere around the house. Just don't go to the last door. That's my bedroom. And I said, there's my next title. And so I wrote that book. And so I'm still, I was trying, I was bargaining with spirit. <laughs> I was trying to say, because they kept saying, even after I'd written Proof of Life, I still in readings kept hearing, you need to write something more different and more autobiographical. I was like, I don't want to write about myself. Well, so I brought out the last door and I thought, you know, now that's going to work. Well, it didn't work. And I kept hearing the same thing. And so I thought, well, maybe if I listen to spirit and do what they want, it will open up some other areas that I wanted to open up. And so last December, I decided I'm going to finally write something autobiographical. And now, because, you know, I didn't want to write the sad story, what I could write about 23 years later was my spiritual journey. And hopefully that has a happier ending. And I can bring Jennifer into it. And so in January, I started making a list of things that I wanted to talk about in the book. And I started reading books about memoir writing. And I learned that memoir is a little different from autobiography, which autobiography has everything in your life from, you know, start to wherever you start writing. And a memoir is about some specific aspect of your life that you want to explore. And so I got this list of, of scenes and, um, you know, parts of my life. And on February 1st, I started writing it. And um, I was totally astonished to find on February 27th, myself writing the end. And last week, my sister was here and she hadn't read it yet. And she, she read it during a weekend while she was here. And she said, um, there's two, she said, there's, and I haven't checked this out, but she said, there's 219 pages in the book. Jennifer was killed on 219. And she said, it took you 27 days to write the book. And she was 27 when she was killed, which was an interesting coincidence, if that's what it was. Yeah, that's, that's great that it's out there. Your spiritual journey passing of your daughter, because we know she didn't die. She's still with you. Absolutely, she is. What difference could those topics in your memoir make for a reader? Um, I think anybody who is open, and it gives them evidence if they read, because I've, I've included um, transcripts of quite a few of the readings that I had with real evidence and if they can see, not just for me, it's for anybody. And if they meet the right medium, they can also learn, as I did, that there is no death. There's life after earth. So, or as what I'm what I'm writing now, I'm having my book launch party on Tuesday for um, Growing from the Ashes. And what I will write in it is, which I, I didn't make it up, love, laughter, and happy ever after. That's beautiful. And life after Earth, that you got to do something with that too. That's great. It's not just a story about people living on, which we do, and we're going to see them again. We will, and they're doing their best to let us know that they're alive and well and still with us. But you mentioned spiritual growth, and sometimes it is out of the ashes. You know, you think of those 
beautiful pine trees out in California and other areas that need to be subjected, the pine cones to that severe heat in order to grow. Talk a little bit about a, a spiritual journey, not necessarily your whole thing, but but maybe your thoughts on the bigger picture and what can come out of the ashes. Mm, that's a very big question. <laughs> that's that's like a young man said to me a couple weeks ago who was selling me, a, my, he was buying a new car and the car salesman said, um, what, what is the best life advice you could give me? Like, big questions here. Um, I'm not sure how to answer that, but it's it's really, it's all about openness and being willing to accept uh, what is there and asking for it. I've learned, you know, you have to ask your spirit guides to give you what you need, and it may not be what you want, like the old Rolling Stones song. You may, you know, was it? You you oh, I can't you don't always get what you want. You, yeah, you but don't always get what you, you get what you need, but you get what you need. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I thought that I needed to write those books, which I did, but that wasn't all there was. I'm going to cough. No problem. No problem at all. Hey, I can give you a bit of life advice that my mom gave my niece. She, you know, let her know that it was just this big piece of advice she wanted her to carry on. And my mother with a great sense of humor, she says, don't park under a tree. <laughs> so we all know the birds are in there. Anyways, so yeah. when you think of that big piece of life advice, you can maybe use that. Yeah. yeah but you know, I having come from such a restrictive religion where it was it's fear-based. And I grew up with this terrible fear. You know, you they told us all the time, you you will at some point in your life get thrown into prison and tortured for your faith. And hearing that as a child growing up, and everything is contracted and fearful. Like in handwriting, you can see fear by contraction, narrow handwriting, everything jammed together. That's that's one way of seeing fear. But in in a true spiritual life, not religious life, it's expansive. Everything is open. And, you know, it's all, it really is all about love. It seems very trite to say that, but it's true. You know, the, in the Bible, the, the love God and love your neighbor, that's the whole thing that replaced all of those laws in the Old Testament. And it's easy to say, but when you really think about what love is and how we all experience love, having that present in every interaction is not the easiest yeah. thing. But boy, would that make a difference, wouldn't it, on planet Earth? It certainly would. And and like I told this young man who was having some issues, um, you know, if if you're with if you're with somebody who's not reflecting that love back to you, you still keep giving it to them. But if they're abusive, you have to leave them. And that's showing love too. Not not allowing that kind of be like Jennifer, you know, she would attract all of these men who were not nice to her. Nobody ever beat her up. She would not have tolerated that. But she abusively, I mean, um, emotionally abusive, which is she saw me do the same thing. And that's what she learned. But now I know better. Yeah, we do the best we can. You know, a lot of people experience guilt. And I always say, had your younger self known that there was a choice, maybe you would have done something else. But we do the best we can. So guilt is a waste of time. Let it go. You did the best you could when you could. And I do believe, even though, no, you didn't want Jennifer to pass and all the things that have happened in your life, the difference you're making it's not only loving as a piece of advice, but sharing and being of service. So it may be entertaining someone in, in one of your books, maybe educating someone in another. It may be sparking some new neural pathways in people and things that they can, you know, hey, is there any anything about this afterlife research? And it might send somebody on their journey. I do know that grief is 
I don't want to say relieved because it, it never goes far, but there's all the um, neurotransmitters that really impact us, loss of them when we're grieving. And to read a book, it can help raise those levels again and help try to bring our system whole. So that's a way that you are of service as well. There's so many ways. And I encourage anyone, whatever your self-expression is, just do it. Even if it's just saying hello to people or giving somebody a compliment, whatever that is for you, if you can just be there for someone else, it's it's a huge, huge thing. Um, Sheila, do you feel Jennifer's presence ever? I do. Um, maybe not as much as I used to, because I think she's busy. And I hear that she works with young children who've crossed over in traumatic ways. And so, you know, she, she didn't have children of her own. She wanted to. So I'm glad that she's doing that. But yeah, I mean, there are times, sometimes a wave of emotion will come over me that it just comes out of nowhere. And, and I often feel that that's her. And sometimes I ask her for specific signs and um, I've put some of them in the book. There's, I think, I wanted to get this and show you because I talked about it. This mermaid this, crossing for those of you that listening. Actual sign, <laughs> a wooden sign. I was at a meeting. I had asked her, you know, if you're still around me, let me know, give me a sign. And then I forgot about it. And a day or two later, I went to a meeting and um, we have at this, it's a business meeting. And we take like, I put my books on the table in the back and this new member had put out some signs. And so I saw this one mermaid crossing and Jennifer was a big mermaid fan. And I said, I gotta, I gotta get that because, you know, she loved mermaids. And then on the way home, I thought, Oh, mermaid crossing. So she crossed over. And it's an actual sign. She's being funny. She gave me a sign. So I thought that was kind of cute. And then I saw I I sent an email and I got home. I, I sent an email to the woman who made the sign, who I didn't even know. And she wrote back right away. And she said, I just got chills because I was sitting in my car waiting to go to the meeting. And I just remembered I want there were some earrings that I had made that I wanted to wear and show off. Went back in the house and got the earrings. And on my way out, I passed by my work table where I had been working that day. And I decided to take that sign with me. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been there. So I think what I've learned recently is to ask for specific signs. You know? Um I didn't this time, but after that, I asked for a mermaid sign later. So quite a lot. I mean, you know, a couple of years later, I asked for a mermaid sign and then I, I won't go into it, but it's all in the book about the the whole domino of, of uh, mermaid signs that I got right after that. That's great. Cause, and mermaids are not something that normally just pass you by in life. You know, no. they're not often on television or... I know the no. Little Mermaids come out, but Little Mermaid, you're holding one of my desk. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Uh, yeah. Our loved ones, I am convinced of this, work through our imagination. And it, as human beings, it's so easy to just blow off thoughts that come into our mind thinking that, oh, that's just our imagination. But taking any classes in psychic and mediumship, that's how it works. So I ask everybody pay a little more attention to that because there are times even with people that I know who have passed, I'm busy doing something. And all of a sudden, like a whoosh, a memory that I have with that person comes out of the blue, nothing related to what I'm doing and filled with that, the emotion and the feeling. And I just, this little like, Hey, okay, you're here. Thank you. <laughs> but pay yeah. attention to that. Cause it's, it's how they communicate. Not everybody can, turn lights on and off and, or even wants to, because I believe they're busy too. I believe that we continue to learn and grow and explore, but they can just zip in a breath and be by our side. And so often they are, you know, cheering us on living life through our eyes as well. Yeah. And some of them, I mean, just like here, you don't have all the same, we, we all have different talents and skills 
and maybe some of them are talented at manipulating electricity and some who are really strong might actually come through with a physical manifestation. I saw Jennifer walk past the kitchen door shortly after she was killed, like within a few days. And But that's extremely difficult to do. And I've, I've heard it compared to, you know, communicating that way, like trying to breathe on the bottom of a swimming pool because the air, the atmosphere of the earth is so heavy compared to what they're used to. And then also, I think it was Sonia Rinaldi who was talking about the why we don't get um, as much physical mediumship as we used to because the the you know with all the electronics and stuff that we have in the atmosphere it really makes it hard for them to come through that way which made perfect sense to me yeah absolutely you've probably seen me do this and if you're listening you just have to visualize this i've got my hand held out in front of me and you know that's us and if i wave my hand really fast or if anybody waves their hand really fast it gives an illusion that you know, it's invisible. I mean, you have to wave it really, really fast to have it be invisible, but you get what I mean. They're vibrating at a, a different speed within the same area we are, because lots more than one form of energy can exist in one place at the same time. So I believe we're part of their world, but for them to slow down enough, like you said, like it's being underwater, you know, and trying to talk maybe and get your words out above a pool or above water, it's very difficult for them. So if we can meet them halfway and take some time, even though Jehovah Witnesses didn't want you to meditate, I think, I really do think if we can learn to slow our mind down, even if it's just for a little while, just try to be in that present moment, whether you're out for a walk or doing whatever you're doing in that present moment, it's kind of like recharging our uh, spiritual battery a little bit. And you just never know how much that can raise our own vibration, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you're talking, your hand waving is, you know, it's a good illustration. I, the first time I thought of something like that was when I was watching my uh, room fan, you know, and it would, it, first it goes slow and you could see it, and then it's spinning and spinning and you can't see it anymore or you don't see it in the same way. And the, just because we can't, see physically with our eyes the spirits it doesn't mean that they're not all around us i love that like a spinning fan absolutely gives the illusion it's not there it's there it's just moving pretty or or like i I didn't have my contact lenses in and (laughs) i went and put them in and all of a sudden i saw that there were some ants on my counter that i could not see without my lenses you know just just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there Amen to that, sister. Well, remind us what your websites are and how people can get in touch with you. Yes, well, they're very easy. Uh, for handwriting analysis, it's just SheilaLow.com. And the other one is SheilaLowBooks.com, which is obviously dedicated to my books. And um, I think you showed, but I want to show the beautiful cover that that Scott Montgomery made for me of the phoenix and and what's kind of ironic about choosing the phoenix growing from the ashes is that i'm extremely pyrophobic i never even used a fireplace when i had one in my house so to choose this it but it was still the perfect image and it's and he made it like in a form of a question mark and i just love this cover it's beautiful any closing words or anything i should have asked you that we want to share about any last things before we blabbed on long enough. You blabbed in a perfect way. We really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for being at. I'll put it to you that way. Sheila, really from the bottom of all of our hearts, thank you for being our guest today. Happily. And it's episode one, uh, 400, which is crazy. And for our listener or our viewer, a reminder that our home base is we don't die.com where you can find past episodes. I also have another podcast called shades of the afterlife on iHeartRadio. 
On that one, it's less guests, more from me, more about latest evidence and research and snippets from doctors and scientists and all things about the afterlife. So you can check out Shades of the Afterlife as well. And I mentioned our Sunday gathering. It's free. It's an inspirational service each week with a different empowering topic. But there's fun music videos. There's there's usually a reading. There's an address and we have a medium demonstration in each and every one. So we usually have a couple hundred worldwide gatherers that join us and our loved ones come through and it's a beautiful place to know the reality of the afterlife and then just get supercharged for your week. Cause I think people need people and uh, left to our own devices in our own head. It's not a pretty place to be. So that's our Sunday gathering. And of course at we don't die.com. And if this episode made a difference for you and you just feel courageous and want to press that share button, you never know who's feeling down, even though they might have a big smile on their face or who's experiencing grief and that these episodes could make a difference. Or maybe you want to give one of Sheila's books as a gift for a birthday or a holiday or something. You never know. But remember to visit her websites, SheilaLow.com or SheilaLowBooks.com. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain, and I'm always so delighted to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is very important. So I really want to thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And this is episode 400. If you're new, there's 399 more. No pressure. But thank you for being here. And we'll see you again soon.